0: wonderful to share worship with you all today as we prepare to make that committed turn this week toward Easter and inaugurate uh, the season of Lent and commit ourselves to a difficult path in many ways if we take it seriously, to look inward and to lay ourselves bare before God and to be honest with God, with ourselves and one another about what needs to change in order for us to be as fully committed to the way of God that has been validated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If we're going to do that, we need today to begin asking some important questions. And so we're going to conclude with a question that begins with... Mark's recollection of Jesus' early ministry. So if you open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, we'll be reading verses 29 through 39. Mark chapter 1, verses 29 through 39. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the house of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever And they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them, that is, to serve them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door, and Jesus healed many, who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed, Simon and his companions went to look for him, and when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else, to the nearby villages, so I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled through Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. May God bless the reading and the hearing of the word today. It may or may not surprise you to know that the word immediately appears 13 times in the first chapter of Mark's story of Jesus. Immediately. I'm breathless sometimes reading what actually becomes something of a run-on sentence in how Mark takes us into the story of Jesus. Immediately, 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 things keep changing. And if there's one thing that I want at this point in my life, it's for something to stop changing. But as it turns out, Jesus, as he moves through the world, is moving through a lot of different spaces in a relatively short amount of time. And sometimes we celebrate Kind of busyness as a virtue, don't we? Being busy. And it was Doug Wheeler who taught me kind of in his grumbly way one day. He said, there's a big difference between being busy and being buzzing, he said. Busyness, he says, is, is something that might occupy you that has worth or value. But buzzing is what people who want to appear busy do. And they want you to see how busy they are, and in, in some way either pity them or elevate them, but somehow notice and identify them on the basis of their busyness. They're buzzing. Eugene Peterson wrote an article in uh, the early 1980s that is as valuable and is as timely now in 2024 as it was when he first wrote it. I encountered it first about 20 years ago. It was called the unbusy pastor. And now he's, he's writing directly to pastors, but I do want to expand it to all of us because I think any of us who are trying to follow Jesus and trying earnestly to commit our lives and live those lives in response to what God has done in us and in accordance to what God wills for us, well, this has bearing. But he diagnoses the malady of busyness in our lives and he says it has two root causes one is you're so vain you feel like things can't happen without you and so you busy yourself to extremes and to exhaustion and to burnout because you think you are that important it's hard to hear hard to read A lot of pastors, including this one, sometimes believe that's the case. However, on the other side, he said, you you could also be so busy because your boundaries are so porous and your mind and your heart are so weak-willed that you will let the tyrannical need of the day overtake you and lose sight of the trajectory of your life or the work that you set out to do, hopefully in negotiation with and conversation with God. But if somebody jumps up in your face and starts demanding your attention, you'll set all of that down to deal with them. And that important work is still there to do. And so when he talks about pastors, he said the word busy should never be attached to the word pastor. He said it's actually a, a betrayal. So it's like calling somebody an embezzling banker is his, his phrase. And so then he goes on in the article to talk about what pastors should be about. That's not as germane today. But I want us to hang on to that meditation on busyness long enough to listen again to this story And to hear how quickly Jesus is moving through the course of a day early in his ministry. It's as if we've opened the day planner or maybe the journal at the end of the day and we just get a day in the life of Jesus, 24 or so hours here in chapter 1. And Mark's gospel wastes no time in getting us up to speed. We begin Jesus' day... Uh, leaving the synagogue and beginning this day of ministry at Simon's house, the house of Simon and Andrew, actually, these two brothers. And I don't think we always kind of consider how important it is that these are people who had a house. They had a household. They had a family. Peter had a mother-in-law. We can set our jokes aside and listen deeply. This mother-in-law is sick Simon was married she lived with them and it's powerfully disruptive when anyone Especially the mother of someone you love and are bound to is ailing Simon and his wife apparently shared a very deep connection in fact in part of his complaint in 1st Corinthians chapter 9 the Apostle Paul is trying to politic or lobby or argue for his ability to work in order to maintain his livelihood, and he points to Peter and he says, Peter gets to take his wife on his ministry trips. They had a close connection. Much later, and this is not in Scripture, this is in the tradition of the church. Eusebius, who is a historian and a bishop in the fourth century, wrote, about Peter and his wife's concluding days. Peter, he says, was forced to watch his wife be crucified before his own crucifixion. They not only shared the vocation, they shared the penalty. And his last words to her, Eusebius says, were, remember the Lord. But that's not where we are today here in Jesus' life. That story is the stuff that's written in the elegant, gilded script of an old manuscript that we might open and just simply be in awe, not only at the words, but the artistry. That's the stuff of sacred tradition. It's the stuff of stained glass and icons. Today, when Jesus shows up, it's in that place where stress headaches live, and grumpy days and leaky roofs, and clogged toilets. It's at the house, at the home, with a mother-in-law who would probably not be impressed. Even later, if Peter said, you know, do you know who I am? Yes, I know who you are, Simon. Well, that's not my name anymore. I'm an apostle. I know, Simon. I've known you for a long, long time. You know, sometimes we think about these figures of Scripture in the words that we've been given to understand them. They are apostles, with with a capital A, right? And we forget that they are genuinely and authentically human, just like we are. And so maybe it's a failure of our understanding sometimes to hear the significance of a very at-home moment in the life of Peter and Andrew, Peter's mother-in-law. I mean, apostle, after all, doesn't mean special occupant of the stained glass window. Apostle is our anglicized rendering of the Greek word apostello, which is a verb that means to send with a commission. To send with a commission. An apostle is someone who is sent, and who is sent with a purpose or with a mission. But isn't that word mission also derived from the Latin word, which means To send? to dispatch, to discharge. Yes, Peter is an apostle with a capital A. He is a very important person in the Bible. He is a very important person in the memory of the church. But before he is sent, never forget this, Jesus goes to where he lives every day and goes to work. And so we find that the first thing that Jesus does on this day when he heard Peter's wife's mom is sick, he goes and heals her. Well done. It's his first healing miracle in all of Mark's gospel. And then we find something really interesting happens. As the fever leaves her, Mark says, she began to serve them. She began to wait on them. And we cannot walk away from this story, of course, seeing that Jesus in his work is simply trying to kind of get a household servant back online, somehow getting a woman reinstalled back into the place that was most well-known in that patriarchal culture for all women. Instead, hopefully we can hear with open ears and with open hearts that when Jesus visits her, and brings healing, and hope, and comfort. The impact is deeper than curing the symptoms that are presenting in the moment or on the surface. All of a sudden, in this interaction, it's no longer about Peter's mother-in-law's fever. Jesus is intent on bringing her and bringing all of us to that life that we are intended to live, where the greatest are those who are servants of all, just like Jesus. And sometimes it's hard to remember that, as eager as we are for restoration, healing, and wholeness to come to our lives, that there is a commission, that we receive these gifts not simply to hoard and hold and to celebrate although the celebration can be good. Now, the Apostle Paul, when he wrote to the Corinthians again, this time in 2 Corinthians, and he writes it in a way that I, I always get tongue-tied, so I have to read it very carefully. And hopefully you'll hear everything it has to say. When he talks about his own journey and the journey of each and every member of a church, he says, "'Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ,' the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So can you see as Jesus moves through his day, as Jesus moves through your life right where you live, How all of a sudden you are brought into that cohort of apostles too. That in receiving the presence and the healing and the hope and the wholeness that comes in a relationship with God through Christ, you also have a mandate, you also have a message. You also have a purpose as you make your way in the world. You who have received comfort now are equipped in a unique way that only you can provide to share that comfort with others who need it. The whole city, Mark says, was gathered around the house that Jesus and his friends were occupying. Jesus preaches one little sermon. He casts out one demon He heals one mother in law there in chapter one, and everybody comes running. And they're all gathered around the door. Can you imagine what it'd be like if everybody who had a need came to church on a Sunday morning? We might like it the first Sunday. Wow, shoulder to shoulder. But it can be pretty overwhelming. Because as we think about it, who is not without need in this town or in this world? And perhaps we can cast a vision that the church is in some united way able to get its arms around all the needs of humankind, but I will acknowledge my own humanity at the point to say, is there some way to kind of filter this out or turn the tap down? We don't get to control those things. And when people see a source of hope, it's just as likely that they may come running and demand more of you than you felt prepared to be able to give at any moment. You don't get to choose who, though you have a lot of agency in being able to choose how. And when they come to Jesus, Mark says Jesus cured many who were sick. I emphasize that word many. I mean, many is a good word. If you're in healthcare and you're making your way through the oncology clinic, you could say, I cured many, it'd be a pretty good day. Sometimes, depending on the circumstance, just one, right? But why not all? What are we seeing here? That maybe there are opportunities still on the table Because there is a design that includes more than Jesus being a concierge Messiah. Giving us everything of what we want when we want it now. But what if in leaving others who need care, who need companionship, who need restoration, who need wholeness, It is an invitation to those who have received comfort to do exactly what the apostle calls them to do. Involve yourself in their lives. Involve yourself in those places. Involve yourself in new and growing ways so that we can celebrate what Jesus has done by imitating him out in the world. When Jesus wakes up then after a very long day of healing many, of casting out many demons, He wakes up earlier than the rest of the folks, and he goes to a solitary place to pray, of course. And we talk about this, but sometimes we neglect when we consider the rhythms of our own lives that the sabbatical rhythm of rest and prayer that's mandated in scriptural covenant law, the Torah, that Jesus embodies in his own ministry, is something that we often subordinate to the tyranny of the day. Jesus had a lot of demands. A whole town is at his door. And knowing all of this, he goes without telling anyone where he is going, and he prays, and he rests in the presence of God. If there's one thing that must be integrated into our life, it is just that. The rhythm of work and rest that allows us to do all God is calling us to do and to allow God to do what only God can do in the world and in our lives, through others, and through ways that we can't know or completely control. The disciples do not understand this. They chase after Jesus. They find him. They say, everybody is looking for you. And here's where it all comes together instead of saying, oh, you're right, thanks for drawing it to my attention, I'll get right on that, it says it's time for us to go. It's time for us to go so that I may proclaim the message in other towns also because that's what I came to do. Traveling far and wide, preaching, healing, exorcising. That was his mission. That's what he was sent to do, to provide these embodied parables, this assurance as a sign that God's reign was breaking in, was putting in order those things that had become so disordered by sin. And in doing that, he would have to leave some of the things behind in order to stay focused on his mission. And that's an important question, I think, for us. Here in the day of the life of Jesus, we see him so active, healing, and preaching, and helping, exercising, and resting, and praying, setting the appropriate boundaries that allowed him to be able to remain focused on that which was most important to protect the mission for which he was sent that's what he came to do that's how he says it here we are at 10:20 or 11:20 on a sunday morning why are you here why are you here and when you leave this place How purposefully will you put one foot in front of the other, recognizing the unique gifts and callings and comforts that you've been given to share? What is your mission? And if we were to broaden that and say, as a church, what is our mission? I've said over and over again, ever since we made the choice to renovate this campus in place, 2819 Chapel Hill Road this ancestral kind of legacy that's been given to us by our spiritual forebears for 145 years. It would have been cheaper to relocate and build a new building and do something new, undoubtedly. And I'm a sucker for new construction. The most visionary choice the church made was not in the engineering or the design of the space or adding extra parking, changing this or changing that, the most visionary claim the church made in that entire process was this. God has called us here to the corner of Cornwallis and Chapel Hill Roads. We're apostles. Sent with a commission here and from here to do the work of the one who sent us. Think carefully and pray earnestly in the days to come as we walk together now toward Easter and all the hope and the promise that is found in that celebration. As we make our way together, let it be a time a fearless self-examination of confession and recommitment to be able to name individually and together the mission that we've been given.